Welcome to the Corridor cast. This time we have Number Station, a two-base outfit coming at you with very heavy grooves out of D.C. They put an EP out at the end of April. We discussed that, and you can pick it up on Bandcamp. Just Google Number Station Bandcamp. You'll find it. Uh, We also talk about a mini tour they're doing in July with Ghosts of Sailors at Sea. They'll be hitting Boston, New York, Philly, and D.C., Before we get to that, I wanted to give you some quick Santa Labrada news. On June 29th, we'll be playing at Joe Squared with Joseph and the Beast and Church Girls. Uh, We played with Joseph and the Beast before. They're great. I'm looking forward to playing with them again. And then after that, on July 29th, we'll be at the wind-up space. All right. Well, enjoy this talk with Number Station and be sure to find them on Facebook. They have a Facebook page where you can keep up with their dates and any new releases that they're going to be putting out. All right. Enjoy it. It's a good one. Music from D.C. and Baltimore, you'll find it all here on Corridor. Waltzes or cut time or straight for four, you'll find it all here on Corridor. Hey, this is Kelsey and I'm here with Number Station. How are you guys? Good. Good. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I guess, can we go around just so we can recognize everybody's voice? You can just introduce yourselves real quick and say what you play. Sure. Um, My name is Stefan. Bauschmidt, um, or Stefan Bauschmidt in my native German language. <laughs> I am the drummer in Number Station. I'm Michael Hansch, and I'm one of the bass players. Mike Markarian, the other bass player. All right. And um, so two bass players. I wanted to start there because that's super interesting. You guys have a new EP, and I want to talk about that. But let's get to that after talking about this concept of having two bass players. Where did that come from? I assume it wasn't uh, Spinal Tap or anything like that. <laughs> no. It, um, so a few years ago, I was, playing in, uh, I was playing in two bands. One of them was called Alarms and Controls, uh, which was a standard sort of tri- alt-rock trio, just guitar, bass, drums, and singing. Uh, and then in my spare time, I played in a two-bass instrumental band called Argos. Oh, you did? Okay. And that actually was probably the the most interesting musical experience of my life. It was sort of like like those uh, old books on how to dance, where there would be the the black shoes and the white shoes sort of in sync, that that they were you know moving together but not standing in the same spot. And that's what and it was like really cool to try to work that kind of thing out. Oh, yeah. And then I had to quit both of those bands in 2013 when I went to graduate school for library science. And the whole time I really missed making music, but it was like I wanted to go back to two basses, but I wanted to add drums. So that was really the impetus uh, to try to like work on that kind of really kind of limited dynamic and see what would, what could happen. That's definitely one of the coolest things uh, of when I played with you guys with Santa Labrada. One of the coolest things I thought was just how, how the bass played together with the drums. I, I just had never seen that before. I didn't know about your previous band. So, yeah. Um, so when you guys are playing, um, how do you build a two bass line? How does that work? You know, I guess it's it's kind of different each time. I mean, I I tend to play on the lower end of the of the scale. I think Michael plays on the higher end, so there's a little bit of space, you know, between the two bass parts typically, and um, you know, sometimes we'll we'll just we'll lock in on a groove and see what works, or sometimes Michael will come in with a couple parts, you know, already in mind that might layer on together really nicely. So when did the EP come out? 
Well, it officially came out uh, this past week. Yeah, that's right. What is um, it? When we decided to, this was what, April 30th? Yeah. I want to say when we basically had, we had done the recording earlier this year at the very beginning of March. That's right. Um, and so we had, we recorded four songs, uh, we mixed them and we had them mastered. And so uh, we sort of had been internally just talking about like what would sort of make the most sense in for us to share the music with the public, with our, you know, audience, if you will. Um, and so we just decided to put them up on Bandcamp um, and just kind of, you know, see, let's just sort of have the world let us know what it thinks of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, it's all to me, you know, it's as a as somebody who clearly does not make his living playing music. Um, it is sort of, you know, I was actually telling somebody yesterday that I thought it was really remarkable, you know, then when you can sort of see and say, well, there actually it was more than a handful of people that sort of went through the trouble of like downloading the songs and like, you know, giving them a listen and then sometimes even letting you know like what they thought of it, you know, that they enjoyed it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's sort of, that sort of interaction with the audience, I think is, it was really gratifying. Yeah, that's good to see. What has the feedback been so far? I would say it has been, has been good. I think that for the most part, I think a lot of it has been from fellow musicians. Sure. Yeah. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, fellow drummers, uh, and they will let us know. A lot of them just kind of are initially intrigued by the concept. And, they, you know, they kind of can relate to it because they play bass or drums. And then they sort of find it interesting from that part and sort of sort of get into it a little bit more, I would say. And we recorded with uh, Jay Robbins at Magpie Cage in Baltimore and just had a great, you know, great time. And uh, we, we've we recorded with Jay and, you know, previous bands and just had a great experience. We did four songs in one day and then, uh, and then did the mixing uh, with Jay and the mastering with, with Dan. And... Uh, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. I think you know, being up in Baltimore and having the day to, to uh, get get sounds and get four songs done was was a real good time. Yeah, all of us. I'm sorry, all of us in in, in sort of different ways uh, come from punk rock. Uh, where that was up, sort of essential to all of our upbringings, and sort of in different ways. Um, and so, like like you know, Jay is someone I think we've known for decades now, uh, and. Um, and sort of getting always looking for a chance to work with people whose uh, sort of background aesthetics values that that sort of are are in sync with your own and, and you know and back to the punk rock thing too I, like I mean you know I've first speaking for myself I, you know my first band was in. 85, you know, inspired by, you know, bands like Minutemen, you know. Oh, I definitely uh, hear that. Yeah. And, but like the whole point of like sort of doing your own thing and, but also trying to to do as much of it yourself. I think one of my regrets looking back in my life was like sometimes there have been occasions where like working on music thinking, well, could we get somebody else to put this out? And the nice thing about Bandcamp was that to be able to, record something with a friend to have that person recommend their 
uh, friend to master it. And that person does a wonderful job. And then putting out ourselves at really no cost and making it available at, at the lowest possible price to people like right away is like sort of really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's definitely a jam in a cono as, as yeah. they would say. <laughs> that's um, right. So you did four songs in a, in a day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how did that go? Was it, were you guys like really cranking it out or did you not feel that way? Or? I think we cranked it out. I mean, we, we did, we know. did. The, we had we sort of met a little bit of a challenge towards the end because I think we may have s- sort of saved the technically most involved song for the end, you know, and you could definitely tell that we were all like getting tired, like also just kind of mentally a little bit. So, but that said, I, you know, like Jay just totally kept calm and and um, it's like yeah, it's you know, and then we actually we totally managed to get it get it in the can, as they say, um, in time, you know, and then we had some delicious pizza. Mm-hmm. And then we, we sort of continued. Two boots. Two <laughs> boots. And then we continued straight into the mixing. And uh, I think right around midnight, yeah, we sort of packed it up and uh, drove home. Very happy. And most of the songs, I think, like, were done. There, there weren't very many takes. I think... What between yeah. two and five takes in total yeah. for for each one, and Stefan and Mike had had really good takes. Had very you guys had very little, if anything, to fix in those. And uh, I think our feelings were too. If we had good drum sounds, everything else would fall into place. And my parts are a little busier than theirs, and I am the one who had the most fixes in there. Um, I also there were, you know. There were parts that were like mainly written, but I, I, I always play them a little bit differently. Uh, uh, and there's nothing like the tape rolling to sort of realize that I ain't no jazz musician. Right. I don't. I better have this stuff locked down beforehand uh, and not leave anything to chance because that adding that little element of anxiety to recording can sort of like really sort of choke things up a bit. Pressure's so, definitely on, yeah. yeah. Um, so did you guys have any happy accidents or, like, interesting stories from that session, or did everything kind of go as planned? Well, I mean, I think, like, Michael had sort of an interesting um, idea that um, that sort of Devin Ocampo put in his ear a few days before we recorded. Uh, Devin was in was in many awesome bands, like he was in Farrakhet and Medications, and is currently has a trio named um, Effects. And they also recorded with Jay, and he, he, he told Michael that, hey, you might want to consider having a dual setup yeah. with your amp and maybe the Fender Bassman that, that Jay had. And so that's basically what we did. We sort of decided, you sort of decided on it kind of on a whim, and it, it totally worked. Yeah. This Fender Bassman that lives at the Magpie Cage studio belongs to Shauna Potter, who is the singer in War on Women, mm-hmm. and she uh, is sort of co-owner of Big Crunch Amp Repair there. And um, this six, 1967 Fender Bassman that lives there, uh, I sort of mentioned it to Jay, and, and his eyes lit up, and he's like, I think that could work. <laughs> so we ran that, a, you know, A-beat it with my rig, which is uh, just a, a really kind of plain old uh, Galleon Kruger uh, RB800 uh, with some old Mesa Boogie uh, cabinets um, and A-being. It just sort of worked really well. 
Um, and I guess that, that sort of leads into another th- interesting thing about our gear that Mike and I play the exact same amp rig, but oh, couldn't, could not sound more different. Yeah, uh, no, when you guys play on stage, at least when I saw you, you have that like kind of punch, or I don't know, punch is the right word, but that higher end kind of like, bing, bing. and you got the, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it more traditional. What sound are you going for? Yeah, I mean, we both have the the, uh, the GK800 RB, and we both have a Mesa Boogie speakers, a 115 and a 210. So... I think it's just, it's kind of the basses that sound different and maybe our styles of playing that sound different. I play a a Fender jazz bass. Michael has a few different basses that he plays, but the setup of the studio was a lot of fun because I think you can hear it in the mix that my bass is kind of right down the middle. And because Michael's was split, it's kind of on both ends. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, surrounding the the sound, which is, uh, which was a very cool thing. I remember once after practice, Mike and I just sort of switched gear. Like, I took his bass, he took my bass, you know, just and just sort of switched. And we still sounded like each, like ourselves, yeah. even though we were playing each other's gear. And uh, that really told me a lot about not stressing too much about chasing sounds or uh, trying to get certain gear to get a certain sound that, you know, you're just, you're going to sound like yourself. It's so much of it is in your hands. No, that's true. A lot of it's in the fingers and, you know, how they interact with the strings, for sure. Um, so was there a concept behind the EP you put out? Is there, like, something you were specifically trying to say with it? I don't, I don't, I don't think we could reasonably claim that. I think that the way that our, our process works is that we have sort of... Um, it's not really that any of us ever sort of comes to practice and say, hey, I have this song written out. Um, that's just not how we work. We usually just come, one of us has sort of an idea, whether I have an idea for a beat or Mike or Michael have sort of an idea for a main um, riff. And then we just kind of play around with that. And then oftentimes, like the real interesting part is is to sort of, when we sort of realize we have kind of two or three radically different parts and ideas and then we try and make a song out of them like just kind of like glue them together in some way that makes sense and i think that's that's really from for me anyway that's sort of the at the core of it i think there's never really i i don't think there's ever really any like clear concept or that we sort of you know like we never really say that this song speaks to this particular issue in society or anything like that. It's, it's. Uh, I think we just kind of try to evoke like a certain a certain mood maybe, um, and then um, usually match that with some nonsensical song title. <laughs> <laughs> I do love your guys' song titles, by the way. Well, the only thing we I think we really had in mind and our our plan you know, maybe change it a little bit. A number of our songs are pretty long, you know, like four and a half, five minutes, six minutes, and wouldn't fit, you know, necessarily on a seven inch. So we we recorded our two shortest songs, um, the first two on the EP, because we had originally wanted to do a do a seven inch with those two and then do a do a download card to get the additional tracks. Um, so that is Windows for Submarines and 
we need to talk about some basics before you get fancy with oil paints. Um, but I think, you know, we're now thinking because of the, the time it might take to get seven inches made or to get vinyl made, that we may do a cassette instead. And we want to get want to get some cassettes that we can bring with us to shows that are coming up over the summer. I'd been thinking about this band for a while before you know all the the parts really kind of all came together, all the the, the personnel, and I had um, worked on a lot of music prior to us meeting. Um, I'd bought my first Looper, and I'd been listening to. Uh, a lot of David Pajo, um, who was, he played guitar in Slint, and he has a lot of sort of solo projects under different names, like Papa M and Ariel M. And he's just one of these people who can seamlessly make these layered loops. Uh, and I just sort of was re uh, really inspired by that. And at first had this vision that that's what I wanted for this band. And I arrived with a lot of ideas and um, found that uh, my sense of timing is weird and a looper is really hard to work with with other people uh, and it became the machinery got in the way yeah and uh, so that title we need to talk about some basics before you start getting fancy with oil paints that's kind of it was something that that uh, I, I, I saw in one of Stefan's posts it, you know some advice to an artist a young artist and I saw it and it really spoke to me about the about needing to change my concept for the band that I, I was sort of putting some of the technology ahead of chemistry. Sure. Um, so now I use the looper to generate ideas on my own and then it just doesn't, it, it's not involved with, with our, our working as a trio. Uh, um, but sometimes I use it, I will, I will like learn to play one of Mike's bass lines in a, a song idea and I'll kind of play a sort of a, a version of that loop it so that he doesn't have to sit there and play it over and over again for right. an hour while I try to work out an idea. To so, solo a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you also mentioned uh, that there's a tour coming up in July. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Where are you guys going? When is it? How can people learn more? Yeah, we're doing uh, just a mini tour on the East Coast. We, uh, we played with a really great band from Boston called Ghosts of Sailors at Sea. Uh, last year at the Galaxy Hut in Arlington and uh, they invited us to come on the road with them for a few dates so we're gonna do Boston uh, New York uh, Philly and then back here in DC uh, July 13th to 16th so we're really excited about that and uh, getting out of town to do some shows and playing with uh, playing with a band that we really really like yeah have you been out of town before, or well, I know you played in Baltimore, I should say. <laughs> Baltimore, that was uh, aside from that, uh, we have not played outside of the region. Okay, well, that's cool. That's exciting. Then you guys uh, are looking forward to any particular part of it, or just the whole thing? Um, sure. I think it'll just be interesting, you know, to sort of just see how what people make of it in other towns that have no idea who we are. I think that's sort of what I'm looking for, looking forward to. Um, yeah, I think it, for me, it's just sort of as simple as that and just kind of see how, how the songs might evolve if you play them four nights in a row, maybe. Mm -hmm. 
And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to play with Ghosts of Sailors at Sea. I mean, they're instrumental band as well. I think a good, you know, good fit for our style of music. And they, uh, you know, they're from Boston. It'll be great, you know, fun to see their crowd in their hometown. And uh, we, I, I really like all those cities and think we'll have a, we'll have a fun time and in the van together. Right. Yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah, we, we hooked up with Ghosts of Sailors at Sea through uh, the cellist Gordon Withers, who uh, plays with Jay Robbins in the band Office of Future Plans. I don't know those guys. Um, uh, they have a record on Discord. But, uh, and, and Gordon has some really brilliant uh, solo cello records, too. He does a has a, a dark side of the moon on cello concept record. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, uh, and he went to music school, I believe, with one of the members of Ghosts of Sailors at Sea, and he plays cello on all of their records as well. Uh, and so he, that's how, uh, when I'm friends with, with Gordon, and that's how the, we sort of met up with them. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Ghosts of Sailors at Sea either, but uh, you mentioned they're instrumental. So I wanted to ask you guys about that. Was there ever any thought of having vocals, or was instrumental always the idea? Well, the first time I think Michael and I jammed together with with the two basses, uh, we played together a couple times, I think, before Stefan joined us. And I think the first rule that Michael laid down was no vocals and no <laughs> guitars and no picks. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And why was that? Um, just to be, just to have something sound different? Or? I think so. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And I wanted to delve into your guys' history a bit. I know you mentioned already you've been playing in bands for a long time, but let's start with um, how did you all meet? How did you all get together for this project? Yeah, well, I mean, we've known each other for a while. I mean, Michael and I are both from uh, upstate New York. I grew up in Buffalo, and he grew up in Rochester. But we both lived down here for a long time and just have known each other uh, through music and through friends. And I played in a number of other bands here in D.C. Um, uh, I played in a band called Vita Bruno and The Perfect Souvenir and uh, Oswego and Rancho Notorious. And the only of those bands that really recorded was Oswego. We did, a, uh, we did an EP and a full-length CD on B-Core Disc, which is a Barcelona label, around, uh, around 2000. And then that was just uh, re-released as a double LP. Um, Jay remixed it, and uh, we had it remastered. And it was released by a, a German label called Arctic Rodeo as a uh, double LP, uh, which was pretty cool. And yeah, so, uh, and uh, see, Alarms and Controls uh, released, we had a, a, a single that was a sort of a split release between Discord and Mud Memory, and then an LP that was a split release between Discord and um, Love It Records. Uh, and then a seven-inch that was a, uh, a split single with a band from Louisiana called Secret Smoker. Um, and that was a, a fun, a really challenging uh, band to play in. It was just the music was, uh, it was like... It's very mathy. Math, oh, yeah. prog, punk, what I, it was... I, I, it was uh, Chris Hamley from Circus Lupus and Vin Novara from The Crown Hate Ruin and... 
it was so complex. The music was so complex. I remember at a practice once asking, what, what is the time signature of this song? And Vin just sort of laughed. <laughs> uh, he said, depends on which part. Yeah. Uh, of it uh and you know we have songs like that now but uh um it's uh, i think we all kind of roll with it uh, uh, and just uh, and um and then argos the other band that i played in uh we just had a release on uh, a, a, we did it for free on bandcamp um so and then we also guested on uh, a recording by a band from new york called bells uh bells features the uh zach Barocas who played drums in jawbox um, and Zach and I are for, sort of former bandmates. He's also a Rochesterian, uh, and the Argos helped out with that, uh, on that record, on their last record. So, big New York State connection here, I yeah. see. And so how did you get involved? Um, well, first of all, I came to playing drums um, mostly as a, as a music fan initially. Like I, When I started to play drums, I was already in my mid-30s, in like 2000, I think it was 2006. Um, my, a friend of mine, um, was sort of wanted to kind of just have a band with his roommate. And then they were sort of thinking about saying, well, who could we get to play drums? And then one of them was just, just sort of had the idea to ask me. And then I literally just, yeah, had to like go out and get a drum kit, wow. buy a drum kit. And then, yeah, was in that band for, I want to say like a couple of years and, you know, we just kind of. I think parted ways. I I think I was probably looking for um, ways to just play a little more. Uh, I'm not sure if aggressively is the right way, but maybe in more powerfully, maybe. Um, and I then sort of got connected with um, a different group of musicians through a friend of mine, um, and I was that band was called the Formers, and it had sort of people. And it, that were in um, in DC bands since the '80s, um, and that was a pretty interesting experience. Um, I definitely learned a lot in terms of yeah how to play drums in a in a band. Um, and then uh, I had also uh, after I had met my uh, wife, uh, who is a full time professional musician, um, at some point she was sort of just yeah inquiring whether. I wanted to play drums in, in her band. She had this project called Garland of Hours, which um, had sort of a rotating cast of drummers and bass players. And um, um, so I was, that was sort of my main out band outlet then for like a few years. We played shows regularly um, with uh, our friend Mary Timoney, who played guitar in the band. Um, and so that was sort of a pretty fun um, lineup. And I guess we played shows with that for, I would say, like, yeah, three to four years. And then I think, yeah, like, Mary obviously got really busy with her band X-Hex. And then my wife got really busy with her career as a sort of early music, Baroque musician. And then that sort of, you know, just kind of put the project to sleep. Sure. Sort of naturally. And, uh, yeah, and then... I still lived in Arlington at the time. My wife had been living in Arlington since the 90s. I lived in D.C. for 10 years. When we met and got married, we moved in together in Arlington. I lived there for, uh, yeah, like about seven years. Um, 
had been trying to, you know, after the aforementioned bands kind of all came to a stop, try to make things going with other musicians. And, you know, it was just always the, the logistics really that made things very difficult. Um, and then after all that, uh, my wife and I decided to move to DC by a house. And right as we had, after we had bought the house, we went to see Rancho Notorious play at Fort Reno, where Michael was also in attendance. And he was sort of like said hi and, and said, hey, I had this idea for a band. <laughs> I was wondering if you would be interested in just like jamming at some point. I was like, yeah, sounds great. Um, just give me a few months because... I just bought a fixer upper. I just need to make it habitable. <laughs> Let's talk in November. <laughs> and uh, and that's basically how things got started. And uh, you know, accidentally, it's also the easiest um, band that I had ever been in because we we all just live a few minutes from each other. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. couldn't start playing as a band until we all moved within five blocks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can probably walk walk to yeah, each other's exactly. places. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to ask you, Stefan. That was really interesting. So you said you didn't really start playing drums until your thirties. Is that right? Yeah. So did you feel like um, when you were growing up, did you have any interest in pay, taking up an instrument? Or I, it it sounds embarrassing, uh, but I'm not afraid to to say it. Like. Even when I was in my first band, you know, I just like bought the drums and I just like set them up and and just kind of started playing and and my bandmates were like, "How did you figure this out?" And I was like, "Well, I've been playing air drums for a long time." <laughs> <laughs> so it's not for nothing. People and so and so drums. yeah, so like literally, I I've always been like you know, tapping my feet and just kind of, you know, just sort of this is where the high. I've been, probably been doing that since, yeah, since as a, as a teenager. I never quite thought that I was once, I once came close to just buying drums and playing when I still lived in my native Austria, like in my early 20s. I once came close to doing that, but it never really happened until I was, yeah, 35 and lived in the States. <laughs> the next EP could be air drums and air bass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be easy to record, right? <laughs> Inexpensive, too. Yeah. Um, so, Mike and Michael, have you guys been playing uh, bass for a long time? or? I played a little bit as a kid when I was uh, like in high school. I, I, I took up bass, but I didn't really play in bands until I moved to D.C. and uh, got to know people here in town who were musicians and started playing with other people. I'm more recent to the bass as well. I... I uh, started playing guitar when I was 13 mm. and uh, just you know punk rock guitarist but uh, for a few years I uh, took guitar lessons and uh, I learned some flamenco guitar Ooh, uh, interesting. Um, and um, there's a song on Yes's Fragile album uh, it was a solo kind of flamenco piece by Steve Howe called Mood for a Day and my guitar teacher taught me that and um, those that kind of motion, the, the four fingers. Um, years later, I, you know, for various reasons, stopped playing music. Uh, when I moved, I moved to DC in '94 
for graduate school uh, in creative writing. And uh, I stopped playing music. I was trying to make my way as a fiction writer, got my MFA. I wrote uh, two novels, was not able to get either of them published. Um, and over the years became so frustrated with writing uh, that it, it, it was painful. It just, it didn't feel good to write. And I was sort of so caught up with being, uh, accomplishing something, with being successful or some notion of what success even was. And I sort of, sort of realized that I never had those feelings about music. I could give a fuck, um, you know, whether anybody liked it or not. But um, I kind of felt so, like, I picked up a guitar and it just sounded like, you know, just like 80s punk rock. Uh, that, that sort of my, or my, my dexterity on a guitar. And I thought, I want to do something different. I want to sort of reconnect with feeling artistic. So bass kind of is like mechanically close enough and uh, to the guitar so the learning curve wouldn't be quite as sharp. Uh, and I felt when I started playing it, I didn't want to use a pick. And those old, that flamenco uh, style came back to me. And I just wanted to, I just sort of, was like, I'm going to learn how to play bass. I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to devote, like, each, the my index finger would be for the E string, my swear finger for the A string, you know, the ring finger for, for the D, and the pinky for the G. Just do it that way. And I just... I mainly listened to Minutemen and Firehose songs and kind of learned as, I think I, I, I counted it, like almost 150 songs because I had no one to play with. And uh, no, that's how I sort of built some strength and some agility on it. Uh, and that was in 2008. Those are certainly not bad places to learn some bass, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> well, your bass playing is more guitar-like, yeah. I think, than my playing. So you're... Yeah, I mean, I can hear in your playing the kind of guitar influence and guitar history that you have. And so who were your big influences on bass then? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always really liked Fred Erskine's bass playing. He was in Hoover and Crown Hate Ruin, uh, June of 44. Um, really liked Bob Weston's bass playing in Shellac. Um, and I played upright bass as well, and listened to a lot of jazz musicians and, you know, really liked Charles Mingus, of course, and Paul Chambers and others. Yeah, I really like the bass in shellac as well. It's so distinct, you know, you, you just, you hear it and you know it, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, and how about you, uh, drum influences? Um, it's always, it's, it, it's a tricky question and it isn't. Um, I remember when my friend Joe Wong was sort of asking for um, suggestions on like who should I interview and I just said I just threw out um, George Hurley from the Minutemen Todd Trainer from Shellac and uh, I also said Phil Rudd from ACDC nice <laughs> um, who, uh, which I think he has yet to accomplish um, and I think the, the fourth in the mix that he also got to talk to was Mac McNeely, who was the original drummer in the Jesus Lizard. I think uh, I would say that, yeah, there's they all play different styles, um, but in, in their sort of um, niche, I think they're probably among the best. And if you if I had to add a fifth one, I would probably say Jim White 
from the Dirty Three, mm-hmm. who actually just recently played uh, in Baltimore with um, this Cretan lute player, um, Georges Zalouris, and they were called Zalouris White, and they played an incredible show at uh, the Metro Gallery. Um, Michael, so you said you came to D.C. in 94, is that right? That's right. And were you playing in bands since then or no? Uh, no. I, so, let's see, I'm trying to think. The last, I had, I stopped playing bands in bands in Rochester around 91, 92, um, and then moved here in 94, uh, and then was pretty much out of it. I dabbled a little bit uh, in the late 90s. Uh, and that was sort of my last time playing guitar, um, okay. uh, but then was just sort of completely out of it. Uh, so it was a big, big chunk of time with with where I just was not playing music gotcha. at all. And I, I, it's what's weird is you know I've played a guitar, had played it for so much of my life, and I pick it up now, and it's I can't I keep dropping the pick. It <laughs> Probably feels, feels like, really tiny. <laughs> yeah, it feels tiny. I don't know what to do with all of these strings. It feels like sort of like a, a friend that I really lost touch with. Yeah. Well, that's kind of poetic. Friend you lost touch with. Well, you know, the bass is there for you, so it's all good. (laughs) And did you have kind of similar story with, um, you know, upstate New York, and and then did you play in bands there and then come here and then not play, or what? Uh, I didn't really play, you know, up there. I mean, once I moved to D.C. and, you know, got to know a lot of musicians here in town, started, you know, playing bass a little more seriously, and playing upright bass and taking lessons and just uh i think you know mid 90s got late 90s got to got to play in bands that were actually you know playing out playing shows and not just not just jamming in somebody's bedroom sure so how has dc kind of changed over the years that you've seen in terms of the music scene what do you guys think well i mean i think in my perception um it's sort of, there's, as I would like to call it, ups and downs. But I think also what people, what, what is often not realized is is that there are parallel universes and even within the music scene in, in D.C. There's probably people that sort of gravitate more towards the sort of garagey world or the more ele- electronic world, you know. And I think that we're sort of, um, at the moment, we might just be there. There is there are sort of quite a few projects now of bands that just play instrumentally, which is sort of interesting. Uh, and it's also something that maybe historically we frowned upon. I don't know. It's definitely interesting to sort of observe. Um, so with that, I mean, yeah, I think I would say that it sort of it really changes constantly in my in my perception. Um, to the degree where, you know, that at times I'm more inclined to participate than at other in, at other times. So, uh, yeah, that, that sort of has been my, my perception. So what do you mean when you're, when you're more inclined to participate? What, what well, is happening? What, what, what brings happening you out? What is that, you know, that, for example, there, I sort of remember there was a time from like 2005 to eight where there just seemed to have been just really bland pop bands that I just couldn't wrap my head around. I see what you're saying. And I was just really not inclined to, you know, go to their shows or anything like that. And so, you know, you, I was just more latching on to 
touring bands, you know, during that time. But there, there certainly are now local bands that that I definitely go out to see every time I have get the chance, and that that always is a good feeling to me, you know, that when I sort of know that there are bands out there, you know, at the right now that I can just sort of go out and see every few weeks. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. And have you had any observations over the years or so? Well, I need to, to, to always remind myself that uh, just because um, from my point of view, it seems like things aren't as cool as they used to be, <laughs> or there aren't as many bands as there used to be, or there aren't as many places to play as there used to be, that what's really happening, I believe, is that there are tons of cool bands and interesting places to play and things going on that I have no awareness of. That it's just, I'm, I may be like in a different sort of age group or demographic for them. And that's awesome. That's like the way it, it should be. Um, and I like do, you know, and I'm, we all work. Uh, so uh, it's not like I can be out on a Tuesday night really late, you know, yeah. on a regular basis, that kind of thing. But I know that when, say, when I first moved here, you know, that, 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 that time is never coming back. You know, the 90s, that sort of that kind of like punk, post-punk boom. And, you know, or that I can remember a period of time where it felt like everyone I knew who was sort of involved with music all seemed to move. They all, everyone left to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, or, uh, or Chicago. That, uh, um, and that's all right, too. Uh, um, this is this is the nature of things. Like we get old and we move on. Yeah. Uh, um, the uh, what I think I like most about Washington um, is that there remain places. Say, for example, the Galaxy Hut, where nearly anybody can get a show. There's no stage. There's no separation between you and the audience, and you get the entire door. The split between the bands. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's not that's almost unheard of too. <laughs> what I like least about Washington is, uh, and and in this sense, we're very fortunate that we have Mike's house to practice in. That I can remember, it seemed like rents were much cheaper in the '90s, and that it was possible for bands to like rent a house to have a practice space, a basement like that, and that's. That boy, it's become very, very expensive. Everything is very expensive here. And sometimes I wonder if that limits bands, if that limits, or even, you know, uh, options for people. I don't know enough about that. I, I, all I can say is that, that, that if we lost this as a practice space and we had to go out and, and sort of rent out a practice we'll just space. just go over to my house. We'd go over to stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. We're, yeah. you know, we're um, all within blocks of each other. It's harder to jam a cano, though, when the rent is as high as yes. around here. Yeah. I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. But I think there's a lot of opportunity now at some level. Like, there, there are more, more venues and house shows and, you know, smaller clubs in, in different parts of town. And, you know, more opportunities probably to release things yeah. i mean just the idea that when we all started playing music there was no internet and <laughs> That's right. you know now you've got Bandcamp and you've got you know more diy tools that you can really utilize and you know things like the local um public radio station wamu you know doing their capital soundtrack you know playing a really diverse 
uh, range of bands from the DC area that are, you know, punk and indie and rock and Americana and funk and go-go. And there's just so much different stuff out there now that it seems like there's a lot of diversity in music that, you know, bands that are jazz influenced and bands that are world music influenced and just a lot of instrumental bands and, you know, really different things that are happening. And so how did everything, how does the uh, scene here compare with Rochester, say? Hmm. Do you mean uh, the Rochester I grew up in? Or the yeah, I guess I should now? specify you would know, like, so back in the day when, when you were playing there and then came here. Would... You know, I think some of the lessons that I learned back then, we, we just put on our own shows. You know, like, I there was a, a guy who was a, a DJ on one of the college radio stations who grew up here in D.C., and, and he brought his record collection with him. That's the first place where I heard, you know, bands on Discord like like Void and The Faith and Government Issue. Um, those were, that was in many ways my introduction to punk rock. And I, you know, my punk rock band was influenced by that. And then we drove down to the radio station when they were broadcasting and showed up with a basement tape uh, of ourselves, and and they were like cool and played it right there, cool. you know. And and I sort of. That gave me the confidence then to like, I mean, wrote to, I don't know, I don't even remember how we got in touch with folks, but we just sort of wrote to the folks at Discord and said, hey, do you guys want to play a show here? And Soulside would, would come up to, uh, to Rochester and play. Uh, Fugazi on one of their very first tours came up and, and played. And this was nothing more than uh, me and a few other people at that time who just sort of was like, here's a place to play. We're going to call some people up, come and play. And it was as simple as that. And that's kind of how we're still sort of operating now mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's sort of in-house it's friends. We're not even, we don't have a booking booking agent. I have really no interest in that. Sure. Um, uh, it's, it's really as big as it's going, as, as it's going to be, uh, um, at, at least from my viewpoint, um, that, um, those things were good because uh, it sort of kept everything on a kind of more or less on a handshake level. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that really worked very well for me. Um, and now as some of my friends from back in those days who are still making music in Rochester, and Rochester reminds me a lot of Baltimore. Uh, rent is much lower. There's kind of a, a, a sort of a really great uh, a scene of strange folks who are super cool, doing their own thing and so there's like a lot of like abstract noise there's a lot of strange artwork going on and and that's awesome yeah, I get, it does you know, sound baltimore <laughs> uh, whenever i get homesick for rochester and go i can visit baltimore and i sort of feel like really in, in very familiar surroundings um you brought up i think it was you mike you brought up uh the internet you know when you guys started playing there was no internet how has the internet changed things well, I think, you know, I think there's just more I mean, opportunity to get your music out there to people. I mean, there was, as, as Michael said, you know, there was always a DIY kind of ethic of, you know, mailing cassette tapes back and forth or, um, you know, but you often didn't get access to a lot of music until the Internet came. And, you know, there were things like Bandcamp and SoundCloud and even, you know, YouTube that has has uh you know a lot of bands uploading their music to it 
But I think it maybe it makes shows a little easier too. That you know, promoting a show or getting getting the word out that you know you're playing in Baltimore or Arlington or or wherever. So it's probably in that just another form of mass communication that allows you to reach people when you know it may have been more difficult in the past. Yeah. You don't have to actually write into Discord like you were talking about. You could you could just send an email, I suppose. And um, so what do you guys have in mind for future plans? Um, I'm, is there an album behind the CP coming up? Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I think we sort of, uh, you might have talked about this informally amongst ourselves, like, you know, imagining sort of different scenarios. Um, I mean, I think this, this sort of general realism, I think, is sort of, is overarching i would say so i think the fact that we just sort of recorded four songs and are just kind of figuring out how to maybe you know if somebody really wants to have it as a sort of um a memento that we would just make a make a cassette because you know i mean really the main difference is is you know like how many how many people are realistically going to connect with this music in like the near future sure so, you know, and in that, like, you know, having a hundred, having, for example, having a hundred tapes as opposed to 307 inches, you know, and, and there's a significant cost difference. Um, and also, I think it's just easy, you know, I think a hundred tapes weigh much less on your shoulders than 307 inches. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's sort of, um, that's sort of number one. And then I, I think just, just see what probably what, what happens in the in the next year like you know how many like songs we can we can come up with and uh you know how in what ways or on what level we are able to connect with the, with the general public in the near in the, the next year and then you know just kind of take it from there and see if maybe at some point um a record might might be in the range of possibilities. That's sort of the way that I look at it. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, we've. Uh, I mean, since we recorded the four song EP, we've written one new song just in the last few weeks, and I think, you know, if, as we get a couple more songs, you know, ready, it'd be fun to record again. And mm -hmm. so whether that's another EP or another digital release or a, a second cassette, <laughs> you know, I think we'll just continue to have have fun with it. I really like that, like our that we made this thing available as as really as cheaply as we could. I mean, making it like a dollar or whatever you want to pay on top of that for all four songs doesn't get any cheaper. <laughs> yeah, and and that just getting it out to people. They have so many other uh, options, and uh, um, so that coupled with the fact that that like, I mean, we can write these strange songs and just sort of sit at practice and laugh you know uh you know there at one point we were working on a song we we're like all right should we stick the part that's in five after the part that's in nine uh sure ha! what and and that we have the freedom that that it's um that it's fun and that we we can get it done cheaply and it's still fun um that going forward that those I, my ambitions are really no higher than than that because I th I've always sort of felt and I felt increasingly so 
as I've gotten older that um, when the stakes are really low, that 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 if your goals are are to like just to have fun and to discover and make it available cheaply, that really interesting things uh, are possible. Yeah. It takes yeah. a lot of the pressure off too. Yeah. If, unless you have like, oh, we've got to make it, whatever that means, yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So uh, let's talk about, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about bands that you guys are listening to that are active now. What uh, w- Have you played with any people that you think should check, they should check out, um, particularly if they're from here in D.C.? Um, yeah, I, I would actually, I would sort of, I'm inclined to extend that also up to, to Baltimore. Oh, sure. Um, um, there's a band that we're, we're all friends with. Um, I've known some of the members for years in that band Quattro Cento. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they've, we've, we've uh, both of our bands have played with them. I think we, we played with them down here once. So they're, they're definitely a band that I enjoy watching. Um, here um, in DC, a band that I sort of go see are the effects, and I think they just sort of finished making a record which might come out later this year in some form. Those are sort of two. I'm kind of in a mental block right now in terms of who else, but. Another band we played with that I I love and I I hope they'll play again soon is Santix. It's um, uh, Michael Pond who used to play in Argos with with Michael Haunch and uh, Chris Farrell on drums and it's a really really awesome trio and I think they are probably going to start playing again soon yeah. locally. It's kind of like a punk kind of band. I'm not familiar with those guys. Hmm. I. I'm not quite sure. I, it's sort of like it's really it, yeah. It's sort of an interesting um, question because um, so like Chris Farrell has sort of played. He was the drummer in in Hoover, um, and then sort of played in some really excellent played in this band called The Sorts. They, they sort of had sort of a jazzy, funky approach, and he's definitely kind of really finessed his drumming in that regard and has been sort of subsequently in other bands that had that sort of orientation. And now in the Santics, that's sort of coupled with um, Adrian Carroll's kind of, it's a um, sort of rockabilly guitar approach, which is really an interesting juxtaposition. Um, I, it, I find it really interesting to watch in terms of how they kind of play together. So yeah, I'm really curious to see what sort of songs they um, they come up with in the future. I should probably add that there's a couple of other projects, bands that that we some of us have seen um, and that we probably also wouldn't mind playing with. Um, which is uh, Brandon Canty has currently two different projects. Uh, one with a bass player named Doug Kalmeyer, who's mm-hmm. a friend of ours. Um, um, they're called Super um, Super Silver Haze, mm-hmm. um, and they're really a sort of the instrumental. They're sort of a band, a band that we enjoy, and then another project that um, Brendan is in with Joe Lally, the bass player of Fugazi, uh, is called Mesthetics, and they they're also instrumental and they play with a guitarist named Anthony Pierrock, and they just played their first show this past Monday. 
that was an interesting interesting experience as well so you were able to be there how, how was it it was great yeah so um stefan mentioned uh the effects and i, I would i would second that i think the last time I, I saw the effects play, I thought to myself, I don't think there's a better rock band around right, right now. They kind of blew my head off. Um, another DC band I really enjoy a lot is Light Beams. Um, I don't know them either. Um, what are they like? Light Beams is, uh, well, it's uh, Justin Moyer, who was in Edie Sedgwick, uh, or is Edie Sedgwick. Excuse me. Uh, and Arthur Knoll. Arthur uh, replaced me in Alarms and Controls when I went to grad school. Uh, and he's, he's just a, an amazing dude and just a, just a right-on bass player. And um, so it's bass and drums and kind of uh, shouting and keyboards, maybe? Keyboard electronic mm-hmm. noise? I'm not sure. Um, they're just... They've played a few shows, but it was just... It was ex- Really nice, it was a really rhythmic uh, and driving. Um, uh, there's, I've I've long been a fan of the Baltimore band Lungfish, yeah. and anything from those guys is always of interest of me. But I learn a lot from Asa Osborne's Zomes uh, project because uh, it's just sort of so wonderful and sort of they're sort of minimalist, and yet it feels like. Very expansive at the same time. It's just like a really, just kind of a sleight of hand with that, where it's it just seems just really enormous and infinitely interesting to me, and yet it's pretty minimalist. Um, so uh, yeah, I really dig that. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, I should probably we should probably wrap things up here, but before we do, I wanted I, I like ending with this question: What words of wisdom would you have for any musician, either trying to do it professionally or trying to do it just for fun, like you guys are doing at the moment? What uh, what advice do you have to pass on with all your accumulated years of playing? Um, I hate to like sort of answer this question with sort of a, a heavy quote. But um, in a in a podcast that I just listened to, I believe it was a podcast that Mark Maron did with Steve Albini, mm-hmm. um, where Steve just said being in a band is awesome, and uh, and that's really I think what one should focus on. Yeah, I almost want to get a tattoo of that. That's so simple <laughs> and perfect. Being in a band is awesome. That's great. <laughs> no, but ah. Uh. Give me a moment. All right. <laughs> I think just 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 do it. Just try it, and you know, there's no reason not to not to play and have fun. And if you don't have you know high expectations, and you know you're not trying to you know make a living from it, but you're just enjoying it, then you know there's nothing better. Um, I th- I th- I really I think all like the the Minutemen were such a are such a huge influence on me so uh i mean like i remember as a as a kid uh reading an interview with them where they talked about their early days and they thought you needed to be someone special to play in a rock band uh and it, when they when punk rock came along they saw regular schlubs like themselves and they were like i can do that and that uh that uh, really was a big influence in me. But then again, them also saying like, hey, 
what everything if everything's already been done before or it feels that way just try to find your own way of saying it uh, um, you know what's what's new is you coming at it and I think that's what Mike Watt often says variants on that and I think like that that trying to find your own voice uh, you know you're always going to be dealing with influences and influences are really good but like you know but just like try to find your own way of saying it too all right. Well, thank you guys so much. I think you have found your own voice and I, I really love the EP. Good work there. Thank you. And thank hope you. to see you guys playing live soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks guys. For having-